You're listening to Golf Yeah, your masterclass in the lives, lessons, and aspirations of people who've built successful businesses and rewarding careers based on their love for the game of golf. Whether it's the obstacles they faced, the success they've achieved, or advice they offer, Golf Yeah provides the motivation and blueprint to convert your passion for golf into a full or part-time endeavor. Or maybe you just enjoy hearing stories from people who know a hell of a lot about the game. Either way, let's start exploring the business side of golf with your host, Gordon Andrew. We've had a number of golf entrepreneurs on Golf Yeah! podcast, but it's safe to say that none are as hardwired or successful as our next guest. Tom Cox is the co-founder, president, and CEO of GolfBalls.com, a company he started in 1995, which was one of the first e-commerce businesses for golf products. Golfballs.com has been on a rocket ship since then. In 1996, for example, the company had sales of $16,000, and they currently are around $35 million. I'm not an actuary, but that looks like a pretty solid growth rate for any company. So there are three things I find interesting about Tom. First of all, he already had a solid 10-plus year golf industry career before he started golfballs.com as the manager of a prestigious golf club in Broussard, Louisiana. But Tom knew he wanted something more, and he had self-confidence to reach out for it. Secondly, Tom had the innate ability not only to see a market opportunity in used golf balls, but he also had the flexibility to change the focus of his business into mass customization of new golf balls and other golf-related items. So he had the talent of most great entrepreneurs, which is the ability to connect the dots and to adapt quickly based on what he learned. So the third thing I find interesting about Tom is that he has not allowed his success to get in the way of giving back. And the way that Tom gives back is by serving as an advocate, advisor, and fan of startup companies and their founders. Toward that end, he's a co-founder and volunteer president of Opportunity Machine, a business accelerator. He's also a limited partner in Tectonic Ventures, a venture capital fund focused on technology companies with high growth potential. So before I introduce Tom, let me share one fun fact about him. On the Myers-Briggs personality test, which classifies people as one of 16 personality types, Tom is an ENTJ, which means he's an extroverted, intuitive, thinking, and judging person. Myers-Briggs calls this personality type commanders and describes them as natural-born leaders with charisma and confidence who project authority in a way that draws people together behind a common goal. Other ENTJ people include Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Now, that group also includes Richard Nixon, but let's stay away from politics right now. So, Tom, I'm honored to have to talk to you today and to learn more about your story. Welcome to Golf Yeah! Man, it's great to be on your show, Gordon. Thanks so much for having me on Golf Yeah. Okay, my pleasure. I thought we'd start with your backstory. I mean, going way back. Can you give us an overview of your early life, you know, family, exposure to golf? And I'm, I'm most interested in your position as a capital page, because I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone who did that job. Yes. Yeah, so I was born in Washington, D.C., if you can believe that. My dad was a retired FBI agent, so they all kind of, all of the baby agents started in D.C. That explains why I started there, too. We moved to kind of, when you grow up as an agent, you go to a field office, and those, we ended up in New Orleans, and then we ended up in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is where I live today. So that's really why I'm in Lafayette. I kind of grew up in, the, in Louisiana. I can certainly consider Louisiana my home. Okay. Did you have brothers and sisters? Talk a little bit about how you got into golf. Were you serious about golf? Sure. You know, I was 
a particular, I'm a 13 handicap, particularly mediocre golfer. My mom's father played golf almost every day. And every time we go and see him, they lived in Florida, I'd get a chance to go out there and play golf. My dad really wasn't much of a golfer until he retired. But I got into the, just kind of out of luck, I was in college and a friend of mine was working at a country club and they said, hey, we need somebody to help out in the office during the summer. And I wanted a summer job and that summer job turned into a full-time job. And then that full-time job turned into assistant general manager, then club manager. So that's kind of how I got into the, really got into the golf business. I really liked the business side of the golf business. Not really a great golfer, love the game, play golf regularly, but how I got into it was through was really through the business side. Okay. So that's interesting. So it really wasn't a, a passion for the game per se. It was more interested in, in being a manager in the business than and golf just happened to be serendipitous. I mean, in that respect. You know, it really was. And so I got inspired when I was at the country club, you know, who are members of private country clubs? It's, a lot of these guys are business owners. So I was exposed to a lot of successful entrepreneurs, interacted with them. And I think that kind of engaged the entrepreneur gene in me to want to start to want to start a business and learn how to start a business and, you know, kind of go down that path. Okay. Now you did that for 11 years. Can you connect the dots of your story? I mean, how do you go from being a club manager and then apparently you had a web development firm and tell us how you strung it all together. Sure. I'd be happy to. So golf was my business. Computers were my hobby. And so if you go back to, do you remember the Computer Shopper magazine? I was one of those guys that would actually get that magazine every single month. This is pre-internet because I was just kind of so into the technology related to computers. And I thought I'd missed the boat. Michael Dell had already created what I wanted to, you know, what I'd missed out on that. And then the internet came along. And so I was a club manager. I did a little computer consulting on the side as I was a club manager. The internet came along and I said, man, I need to learn everything I can about this. And one serendipitous week, I was, after kind of studying this stuff for a year, and all of my free time was like, man, I got to learn about this. I met with a web developer to develop a website for the country club. And that same week, uh, we met with the divers that dive in the lakes to redo contract to to pull the balls out of the ponds. And so, like, somehow these two things got in my head, and I woke up one day and said, you know, maybe we've got something here. Maybe we can put the two concepts together, the web developer for for the e-commerce side of the business and work with the guys that dive in the ponds to do the fulfillment of the golf balls. The plan was not to have a big operation with 120 employees. The plan was to have a website and a marketing engine and then have the guys in the ponds, the guys that dive in the ponds do the fulfillment. And what we quickly learned was that we needed to bring that in-house. While the guys that are diving in the ponds are great at getting balls out of the ponds, they weren't great at turning orders around very quickly to get out to customers. So keep in mind, this was like 1995, early 1996, when the idea and the whole thing got started. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't write club management software, being so close to that business. You must have seen a need there. You know, what I consulted on was point-of-sale software. And so that was really about as high-tech as you had back in the early 90s as it related to club management. And I started a company, you know, as an entrepreneur, not everything works out. One of my ideas that I started simultaneous with too many other things was a company called clubmanager.com. And that was going to be a website development firm focused on the private club industry, right? But somebody else owns clubmanager.com right now. And I moved along to other things that I kind of felt like would stick in the long term. One of them being golfballs.com for sure. 
That seems to have stuck. Yeah, it seems to have stuck. <laughs> okay. Can we do a little sidebar discussion here on the world of used golf balls? I mean, this is this fascinates me. I mean, what is this lie? I mean, are these just independent operators that happen to have scuba gear and they go from club to club? I and mean, how does that world operate? Yeah, so I think, so we've been out of that business for some time, but I can kind of, I'll give you a little history of that business. It was a lot of independent operators, and I will fast forward that to today. It is only a handful of consolidated operators. In fact, Titleist last year or earlier this year, I don't recall the the exact timing of it, Titleist actually owns the majority of the largest used golf ball processor in the U.S., if you can believe that. So it kind of it went from being being a lot of divers and crews and a few processors kind of coming in and out of the business to a well-run, refined organization that is focused on, you know, quality and distribution and kind of all the fundamentals of business. But kind of going back to the early days when we started the company, focusing on used ball made sense because you couldn't go to a Walmart or you couldn't go to a store and get exactly the ball you wanted in exactly the condition you wanted. So that kind of, that we were a unique differentiated product uh, selling online. And back then golfers were one of the few demographics that were actually buying online, right? Because you kind of, if you go back that far, it was who were the early adopters of using the internet and golfers were certainly one of the early adopters. Really? So individual clubs now sign contracts with big companies like Titleist to harvest their golf balls? And do they get, how do they get paid for that? Yes. Yeah, so Titleist, I don't have line level information on how it works. I believe Titleist has let this, I think it's a company based in Houston. I believe they run independently. So I don't think anything to run through Titleist per se. It runs through this company, same as it always has. But this company would have contracts with either diving groups or their own diving crews throughout the country. And then all of it probably gets shipped back to their operations near Houston and it kind of gets consolidated processes sorted and cleaned and packaged and shipped back out. And that's still a big business. People make money doing that. People make money doing that. Yep. I think used balls is, it's always been a, a significant part of say, I don't know what the total market size is. If I would, I don't know, somewhere between 50 and a hundred million dollars a year, maybe at retail in the U S I'm just speculating, but that's probably where I put it. Good. That's what makes this country great, isn't it? That you can make a business out of anything. <laughs> so I've, I've always wondered also, I mean, because I've certainly hit a lot of balls into water and every other form of hazard. I mean, how long can a ball sit underwater before it loses its properties? You know, I would say that a urethane covered ball is going to lose its performance characteristics a lot faster than a Serlin covered ball, right? And kind of the harder the cover, the less likely the ball is to degrade. I would imagine. I haven't. We used to say, uh, you know, a new ball is only new after until you hit it once. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on your source. And, right. and so for us, you know, we decided to phase out of that business because when we started the company in 95, it was very hard to make an e-commerce website. You couldn't go to provider and get an e-commerce website, nor was there an eBay back then that you could go to to sell. And so as eBay became more prominent and an easy place for people to buy and sell products, we found that a lot of our our ball suppliers were taking their best products and selling them directly on eBay. So we kind of said, we want to remain differentiated. We're going to lose a competitive advantage here. So we said in about 2000, we think we need to turn the business and start focusing on the sale of customized golf products. So it was really a reaction to the marketplace. We kind of saw 
that we've always tried to be differentiated and we felt like if we executed well, we'd have a differentiated product that customers always want and that they're willing to pay a little extra for to get something personalized the way they want it. Now, was it tough to make that transition from a marketing standpoint? I mean, you had to re-educate your customer base, right? It was not an overnight transition. We had new product and used product simultaneously, and then we transitioned to a kind of a full line of new product and phased out of the used. We, for a while, we actually operated both businesses independently. In fact, we own the domain uh, usedgolfballs.com as well. We're not doing anything with it right now. It's kind of dormant, but we operated both of those simultaneously, and we just had somebody doing fulfillment. But it's kind of like you can pick one thing and be really good at it, and the one thing we want to be best at is customized golf products. We want to be best at customized golf products, which kind of means you have to give up on some other pieces of the, of the industry. And one of those pieces we gave up on was used golf balls. There's other people that would be much better at that than us, but we want to be better than anyone else at customized golf products. You raised a, an issue that I'm really curious about is how did you get that domain name? A Canadian business or a Canadian person. I don't recall specifically. I think it was a, an individual owned it. And we bought that domain in 98. Prior to that, we operated under a handful of other domains. The name of the company was Golf Ball Warehouse up to that point in time. But if you go, let's kind of go back to 95, 96, nobody really knew if domains were going to be worth anything, right? Like you just didn't know. And so we had a pretty good idea as we got to 98 that you needed to have a good domain. And a funny sidebar here, we had golfballs.com as the name of our business. And leading up to, I raised some capital leading up to, uh, we finished raising capital in 2000. But one, we had a story that came out on the business that said golfball.com hits an ace or something like that, or golfball.com makes an ace with funding. And like, we're not golfball.com, we're golfballs.com, <laughs> right? It's a pretty, you know, it's subtle. In language, it's very significant if you're typing a, something on a web in a browser. And so at that point, we knew we needed to buy golfball.com. So we, a couple of years later, at about five times the price, we bought the domain golfball.com. Yeah. So can I ask you how much you paid for them? Are we talking about in the tens of thousands? So in, yep, got it about right. <laughs> okay. uh, golfballs.com was in 98 was about 10 grand. And golfball.com three years later was about 50 grand. And it would be worth a lot more than that now. Oh, yeah. And that's my next question is, I mean, how much of a factor in your success do you attribute to your owning that URL? Because that's pretty important these days. You know, it is because it's easy for people to remember. And if your product, you could look at it a couple of ways. One is you could say it pigeonholes us a little bit and then it will make it more difficult for us to sell products other than golf balls, right? Even though we do, we have a full line of clubs, shoes, bags, gloves, kind of the works. On the other hand, if you're... The name of your company is your main product, and it is where you go to buy it all in one, then it makes it easier for people to come back to you. As long as you do a good job, they know where to come back to. And that's really, we think that's been a significant competitive advantage for us because it's just easy to remember. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You must be doing a good job online because I have a client and I'm writing a press release for them because they're giving a very unusual holiday gift. And so I typed in corporate holiday gifts and I clicked on the article and you, you were like number four. It was golfballs.com, customized golf balls. Yeah. So you must do a good job really getting penetration. We try to be at or near the top and you can't really fool Google anymore. You have to be an authority in the space in order to be ranked that high. 
Well, you must be doing something right. Yeah, thank you. Talk to me about economics. I mean, for example, if I buy some Chrome soft on Amazon, let's say I'll pay $35. If I go to you and want to have them customize, how much of a markup is there or charge to have them customize if I want to put, I don't know, somebody's name on it or a picture or something? So it's not a very good secret. We pretty much offer free personalization all the time. So if you're in our email database, probably once every couple of weeks, you'll get an offer from us for free personalization. If you're a regular customer, I would be very, very surprised if you ever pay for personalization of golf balls. Sometimes there may be some manufacturer restrictions around that where we have to charge a buck for it. But we like to offer it free most of the time, especially as we near the holidays or near gift giving times, we always offer free personalization. So, And it may not be on every product, but if you're looking, if you're playing a Chrome Soft right now, we have a special price offer on Chrome Soft plus free personalization. So you make your money on the margin between what you buy the balls at and what you sell them. It's just traditional retail markup. Is that your business model? You know, that is our business model. We also have a very high retention rate of customers. So in any given month, over half of the people that buy from us have bought from us before. So while we're always trying to earn new customers, we have a pretty sticky relationship with the customers that we have earned their business over the past, and they come back to us again and again and again. Okay. What kind of golfer do you think is most or least likely to purchase a customized golf ball? You must know a lot about your customers. You know, I think I could. If you want just the cheapest ball you can possibly get, you're not really going to care. If you play regularly and you have a foursome and you want something that's a little different than what your buddies are playing, or if you guys all happen to play the same ball and you want something unique on the product, or if you want an alignment aid on the ball, you would want that printed. And we make it because most of the time it's free with us. We kind of make it really easy. You know, if it's the same price as stock, as long like if you want the least expensive golf ball period, then you wouldn't be the customer. Otherwise, if you play golf, and you like customization, which more and more people want their products customized, then you'll buy customized. Is that your biggest obstacle to sale? The people figure they're going to be paying a premium for the printing that they don't realize there's no markup. You probably don't promote that, but I just realized it for the first time. I didn't realize that I could buy some Chrome softs on yours and not really pay anything to have it personalized. We have a $5 upcharge for it, but with a promo code, it would wipe that upcharge out. So it's, that's how we do it. And you could make the argument that why do you, you know, if 80% of what you sell doesn't have, you know, if you're not charging anyway, why would you even have the upcharge and require the promotion code? I can go either way on that one. It probably makes it a little bit easier if we don't put the upcharge and then promo code it out. But right now that's how our system works. But yeah, I think in an Amazon world, we have to be differentiated and we have to make it really easy and really fast turnaround for people to be able to get products the way you know, get customized products in the same speed, the same timeline that people would get stock product. Yeah. What are some of the strange or funny things that you've been asked to put on a golf ball or other item? We do reject orders periodically. (laughs) Those are the ones I want to hear about. (laughs) We do reject orders sometimes. And then sometimes we'll have a VIP make a special request for as a gift. We have a lot of pro ball gift recipients or players that like something related to their team or related to their number or something like that, that, you know, if you want to, the perfect candidate is the ball player sports fanatic that wants to have something related to their team on their golf ball. Something funny. We have funny photos all the time, hilarious stuff. 
a lot of things related to bachelor parties. You can imagine what people put on, <laughs> okay. put on, you know, last stand. And then we have photos that we can't print the photos on the golf balls either because it's just, it just wouldn't be right. You know, we're all about the First Amendment, but there's some limits. Wow. You've got stronger morals than uh, Mark Zuckerberg, it appears. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I know this is maybe kind of in the, in the weeds here, but what about the machinery it takes to imprint a golf ball? Is that expensive? Is it, you know, are there limitations on what actually can be put on the ball because of the machinery? So we have two types of equipment. We have pad printing equipment, and we have about 16 pad printing machines, and we have eight digital printers. And so it kind of depends on what we are printing and the quantity will determine which product is going to go through which path. It's a pretty, and we buy some fairly standard equipment and then we chop it up and modify it for our own purposes. So a product that we have called the Line XL, which is you print a line halfway around the ball and you can actually put your name or put a business name inside of that line halfway. You know how people like use a Sharpie and put the line halfway around the ball? We developed a, a process to print that at scale and not just print the line, but put somebody's name inside of the line. It's like blown up like crazy. We had to invent that equipment because there was nothing in the market that would do it and it took us a long time to do. We're on our second or third iteration of the equipment to be able to print that. So we have we take we buy vanilla pad printing equipment and then chop it up and turn it into something that it works better for our own purposes and for our customers. Is there a useful life of that machinery? I mean, it's only good for so many years or number of golf balls or does it keep going forever? You know, I don't know that we've ever killed the pad printer. I mean, I think we just keep replacing the parts. I mean, it, you know, if anybody has a production operation, it's all about preventative maintenance, right? It's all about making sure that the equipment continues to, if you maintain it right, it has a very long, useful life. There are certain pieces of it that get worn out, but the core equipment typically has a very long, useful life. Let me switch gears a little bit and talk about, it sounds like we actually, you and I could play well together because I'm in the same crummy handicap ranges <laughs> you are. Yeah. So how often do you get to play? And you've already described your game, but maybe you could talk about what's in your bag and what golf ball you play. Is it customized? Yeah, it's always customized. And I play all different types of golf balls, as you might imagine, I play a lot of business golf. And I've got a regular group that I used to, I say I used to play with on the weekends. And I'm 52 years old. And two years ago, I had my first kid, a little boy, and if given a choice between playing golf on a Saturday morning or hanging out with him, it's getting harder and harder to choose to play golf and to, to hang out with the little dude, you know. And so I'm a late bloomer with that, but I probably play 30 times a year or something like that. Okay. So what clubs do you play, though? I'm curious. Again, I'll go back to I play mostly play TaylorMade and I play Callaway clubs. Those are the kind of the two that I kind of go back and forth between. Okay. Now, you mentioned that you have a, a son, which I imagine changed your life quite a bit and your wife. So she's also an entrepreneur. But what kind of business is she in? Yeah. I mentioned that we have two different types of printing equipment, pad printing and digital printing equipment. Her company is called LogoJet, and her company is the manufacturer of the digital inkjet printers that we use. Oh. In fact, that's how we met. We have a two-entrepreneur household, and hopefully our little guy turns into one, but it's too soon to tell. Your whole life is kismet, Tom. <laughs> you know, it's all uh, circumstances and the stars lining up for you. Stars lined up, and you're right. So uh, you're involved, I would imagine, in day-to-day -day operations of 
golfballs.com. And you manage what? Every day and sometimes more than every day, if that's even possible. You manage more than, a, what, 120 people? Is that right? Yep. That's our staff. And during the holidays, that'll probably ramp up to about 170 wow. for about a month. Wow. And then it'll drop back down to probably closer to 110 or so. So what's the toughest part about managing people? Since really that's what you do all day, I would imagine. So I made so many mistakes over the last 25 years that I've surrounded myself with a great team. And so if you have a great team, it makes your job much better. As a young entrepreneur, you think you can run around and do everything and hiring is somebody else's job and it's not that important. And as time goes on and as your business grows, you realize that the most important part of your business it absolutely is the people that you have operating it and running it every day, right? That's kind of, it seems obvious, but it's not to entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, they fall in love with ideas and, and kind of think the idea will win the day or the concept or the product will win the day, but a product or a domain or a website or an idea, n- none of those make a successful business. People make a successful business. Yeah. Now, your LinkedIn profile mentions that you co-founded the company. Is that is he or she still around? No. One of the co-founders was kind of the web development co-founder okay. that we also started a web development firm with. He, he, we bought him out of the business in 1998, and the other co-founder left the business about 15 years ago. Okay. So we had three guys that originally started the business, and they all left the business some time ago. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about your Opportunity Machine and Tectonic Ventures. What are you doing there? Sure. So Opportunity Machine, I used to serve on Economic Development Board. I chaired the local regional Economic Development Board. And during that time, this was about 10 years ago, I had an opportunity. I've always been passionate. I'm an entrepreneur. Everything I get involved in, I try to spread the joy of entrepreneurship since in small business growth. And so during that time, I was able to champion and convince, and it, was, it wasn't hard to convince because it, it was good timing. And it was a really good idea to, in a small way, start a business incubator, kind of baby steps to start with. And over the last decade, that's grown into a substantial business accelerator program, incubator accelerator program in our market. So basically, we have a facility, we have a startup center, we've got co-working space, we've got private offices, we've got tutors and coaches and classes. In fact, uh, later this week, we have our annual, uh, we've got a big, it's called Innovate South. It's our annual conference that's going to be, we'll probably have probably three to 500 people to come through for that total event, all in celebration of entrepreneurship. And we're all about helping people with ideas, turn their ideas into a business or help people with small business turn to make their small business more successful. Wow. Is there a success story that's come out of that that you could mention? You know, there have been many, many success stories. One, I'll give you one example is Raider Solutions. Chris Raider is is a friend. He started out in our space, had got his own space and eventually rented what amounts to a floor in the building of the whole of the pretty substantial space in the building where our startup center is housed. So it's it's kind of a technology services company. We're very proud of his success. And he's become a great part of the entrepreneurial community as well. Yeah. He's one of those guys that gives back. We also have another company called Beer as a food delivery app is just scaled up to just a huge number of employees in a very short amount of time. Oh, that's great. Very success story. So if you strip everything away, you're in the mass customization business, right? I mean, you take a commodity and then you personalize it for people on a large scale. I know your brain is always working because that's the way entrepreneurs are, are wired. Are there any other 
businesses maybe outside of golf that you see as opportunities for mass customization? Have you thought about any? So our core competence, e-commerce plus mass customization, those are our core competencies. We develop our own software, our own e-commerce. It drives all of our operations. And so our software and our customization equipment doesn't care what the product is, right? So I would say in our future roadmap, we'll be expanding within promotional products, kind of tangential to golf. A lot of the same people that are buying logo golf balls are also buying a lot of other promotional products. We'll go down that road. The opportunity for us there, we have 20,000 plus customers that trust us with their golf ball orders every year. And so we really haven't taken advantage of those relationships to sell them other products outside of golf. So that creates an obvious opportunity. And then I think on the consumer side, on the B2C side, we have an opportunity there to stretch out outside of golf, kind of in the general gifting space, right? Like golf may represent, you know, a few percentage points of the overall customized gifting space. So there's a lot of growth opportunity that we have in to use kind of the same equipment, the same people, the same software, the same processes to customize other types of products outside of golf. Okay. Now, you grew up in Washington, D.C., right? I was really just born there and then transferred out. Oh, okay. You think of yourself as a... Okay. Technically, I wasn't transferred. I was only <laughs> two. My, my dad got transferred out. Yeah. Okay. So you think of yourself as, what do you call yourself, a, a Louisianian? What do they call it? Louisiana is my home. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I was thinking of you last week and was watching the Alabama game. So you must have, you're probably, I would imagine, a fan of that. You know, we were all excited about that win and we were equally disappointed with the Saints loss. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. It all washes out. Yeah. So two more questions. One is, has there been a person or a thing that has or continues to serve as a source of personal inspiration for you in your life? Yes. I think it happens with different people or different things at different points in your life. So, you know, when you're young, like my dad was an FBI agent, I wanted to grow up and be an FBI agent or a lawyer like an FBI agent. And then at some point in college, when I was in high school, I had an opportunity to be a page and I said, man, it would be great to be involved in DC and be part of government and go down that path. And then I was exposed to entrepreneurship when I got in the club management business for a while, a lot got exposed to a lot of entrepreneurs. And I think that's, you know, I think the gene activated at that point. And I would say it wasn't really one person at that point. I'd say it was just a combination of people, successful business guys. I had the, the opportunity to hang out with and converse with and talk about business with. And I think that was really a big part of my inspiration to start this business. Over time, you know, they say you, you are a sum total of the people that you hang out with, right? That's kind of the, you spend time with. And so I find most of my time is spent with other entrepreneurs. I'm in a business forum group here in town with other business owners. And I have a couple of guys that they would argue the point that they're my mentors, but I've got a couple of guys that are on my board of directors that are hugely successful entrepreneurs that, that provide great insight and great coaching to help me keep myself and the business on moving in the right direction. Like nobody does it on their own. You're always, you've got the people that work for you and you've got the people that help you. Any advice for someone who's thinking about starting any kind of a business? Absolutely. I too. One is spend a huge amount of time researching the marketplace and vet your idea in the marketplace and make sure that there's not a hundred other people doing it. Two, if you come across something and when you start building a business, spend 10 times more than you think you should spend 10 times the amount of time you think you should hiring the right people. 
10 times, not twice, not three, spend 10 times the amount of time hiring. And that will almost guarantee, if you've got a good business idea, getting the right people on board will almost guarantee that you're going to be a successful business. Yeah, that's great. That's all I have, Tom. And I enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure our listeners will also. Are there any questions I didn't ask you that you'd like to answer? I don't know. We definitely covered a lot of ground here. This is great, Gordon. Great show. I certainly enjoyed the conversation. I know it's probably hard to tell, but I love talking about entrepreneurship, small (laughs) business, and golfballs.com. Great. Well, thanks. You've done both really well today, and I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Gordon. Take care. Thanks, Tom. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Yeah, featuring another success story from the business side of golf. Maybe it's time to get more serious about making golf the center of your life, not just the highlight of your weekend. Head over to GolfYeah.com for more great content, including show notes, testimonials, and links to valuable resources. That's G-O-L-F-Y-E-A-H.com. 